Ladies and gentlemen, sports fans alike, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. One of the couple, two, three best podcasts around. So sit back, grab yourself a cold one and a pole of sausage, park your keister in the front room, and listen to Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. In Chicago, you know that all sports rock. The Bears, Hawks, Bulls, Cubs, and Sox. Pick your favorite, you can choose as long as the Packers lose. For everything you need to know, it's Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. This is your hosts, Alex and Sean. On this episode, we are going to be talking a lot about Chicago baseball, Cubs, Sox, sprinkling a little bears in there, um, and uh, all this good Chicago sportsness. But first, I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Rockford Ice Hogs. If you're not familiar with the Rockford Ice Hogs, they're the AHL minor league affiliate of the Chicago Blackhawks. What does that mean for you? You get to see the stars of tomorrow today at family-friendly, affordable prices. Sure, the season is not going on right now, but that shouldn't stop you from heading on over to icehogs.com, getting a hat, shirt, jersey, and season tickets for next year and more for the wonderful dads in your life for Father's Day. Tell them Swirsky Sports sent you. Alex, hopefully you are maintaining some semblance of coolness in this heat wave we are in. Well, I'll tell you, the air conditioner both in the house and in my car is getting a nice workout. Yeah, my air conditioner stopped working. I'm trying to get somebody out tomorrow to fix it. Ooh. It is brutal, like no joke. So luckily at my house, we have uh, two decks. We have a first floor deck and then a second floor deck. And uh, the second floor deck gets a really nice breeze. And we have like one of those outdoor couches up there. I Uh I slept on the couch on on the upstairs patio last night because it was way too hot in my house. Honestly, like one of the worst feelings in the world is having to sleep in just hot weather where there's no air conditioning. So, you know, when I was in college years ago, not even a decade ago, I shouldn't be saying years ago, but it was kind of years ago. um, You know, I remember my first three years I was on campus in the dorms and my dorm hall did not have air conditioning and it really wasn't an awful deal for most of the year. But those first two or three weeks, oh my God. I mean, you want to talk about trying to sleep in an oven and all you had were like those typical, you know, college dinky fans that blow just more hot air around and doesn't really fill the void of air conditioning those are always rough but but again you know by like the third or fourth week that heat was pretty much gone you just had to survive it for a few weeks yeah i guess with college you know you're off for the summer so probably you know the last week or two of the year and then the first couple weeks of the new school year the bad ones and the rest of the time you know it's it's fall and spring and winter so not too bad i guess Yeah, so, like, college would usually start back up mid-August, so the remainder of August, that could get pretty damn hot. Yeah, and then you can get, you know, some sneak days in there in September. Yeah, yeah, for sure, Um, but, you know, you just kind of had to survive that because 
once you got through that, you were pretty much in the clear. And I remember distinctly, it was, I think it was my junior year. The first week was like, I I think it was at least in the 90s. It, It had to be around the 90s, somewhere around there. And, you know, those dorm halls with no air conditioning, I mean, they just turn into ovens, like just pure ovens. And there was only one dorm hall on campus, maybe two, but it wasn't mine, that had air conditioning. And we were always envious of them for like a few weeks. And then afterwards, it was like, oh, well, that dorm hall sucks because of this, this and this. So you'd really only envy that dorm hall for a few weeks when they had air conditioning. But, you know, that again, that perk only applies for a little bit of the year. Uh, you know, the heat worked just fine in those buildings, but when you don't have air conditioning, it could be brutal. And, you know, the other funny thing, too, is um, when we did, like, orientation in college before freshman year, we stayed the night there, and we did stay in the one hall that had air conditioning. So I'm like, oh, that's nice. So when I got placed in my dorm hall, they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, this one does not have air conditioning. So it's just like, oh, great. Uh, yeah, just the... Uh... The whole uh, college experience of without the air conditioning and you get, you know, sweaty, sweaty teenagers <laughs> just living together, stinking it up, being all sweaty. Yeah, we always had the windows open, luckily. So, you know, we try to get some air circulation in there. But yeah, it, it, it was it was really just kind of rough to sleep. And, you know, during the day, you can hang out in the uh, air conditioned areas on campus as much as possible. Um, but you know, when you had to sleep, you had to sleep. So that was really what we had to battle through. And you know, you're bringing comforters from back home, and typically those comforters are what I'd wear. It might, you know, mostly I'd have it on the bed throughout the year. But you know, they were thicker comforters, so you know, it's it's not like they were thin. Those were hot on its own, and you couldn't even sleep on those. But I'm also one of those people that just can't really fall asleep without some sort of blanket or comforter. So it's like, well, either I don't sleep and it's hot, or I get a you know I get the blanket over and it's even hotter. So it's kind of a lose lose. <laughs> oh, I don't miss those days, but I'm living them right now with uh, no air conditioning in my house. Well, uh, hopefully that gets fixed soon. I know it's like. I think I need a new air conditioner unit because the the motor just stopped spinning and um and it worked fine last summer but you know we put it away for the winter I mean you know not put it away we covered it for the winter and um you know it's just not going so uh waiting for the hear back from the guy of when he can come out oh it's brutal so it's uh went swimming today to um to alleviate a lot of that. And then, um, you know, tomorrow, I don't know. Hopefully he comes. You should just get one of those mini blow up pools and sit in it all day until he comes. My neighbors have one of those. And my daughter's like, can we get one of those? I'm like, uh, I think we might have to at this point. Yeah. Fill it with ice. Go to like Seven Eleven and buy those big bags of ice for like whatever, 75 cents. And just lay it all in there and go to town. I had an apartment that I was living in. So I, I lived in Philadelphia for like nine years. And the, a couple of months after I graduated college, before I moved to Philadelphia, um, I was subletting an apartment and it didn't have air conditioning. 
And most of the summer I was like, it's hot, but it's, you know, it's bearable. And there was like, like a couple of days where it was just brutally hot. And normally I could find somebody that could like stay at their place that had air conditioning to sleep on the couch. But I couldn't find anybody that had air conditioning that was, you know, around that weekend. I'm like, this sucks. I, I don't know what to do. And I tried sleeping and I started, it was so hot. I started hallucinating. Like I, I thought my dog, like, you know, I had a dog that lived with my mom and I thought the dog was there and I'm like, why is the dog here? And I, I was like, I'm like, you've got to be hot dog. And I'm like trying to cuddle with the dog, but it, you know, it was really like a, uh, you know, a pile of clothes on the floor of my room. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Not the dog. And so I got up and I ran, (laughs) I ran a cold bath and then I just slept in the bathtub in the cold water. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Really? It's what I had to do. It was was brutal. Well, I remember one year, I think it was 2012 and you know how every Chicago summer you get that one really bad storm with like high winds and tornado warnings and lightning and it knocks out power in a lot of places. Well, this happened, I think, July, I want to say July of 2012, and it knocked out our power for a few days, so we didn't have air conditioning. And what was awful about that was not only did it get really hot, but since there was a lot of storm, there was a lot of moisture in the air, so it was so humid. And honestly, I can take dry heat okay, but when it gets humid, that's just that's the worst. So I remember trying to sleep in the basement, on the basement floor, because it was like the coolest spot in in the in the house that was rough yeah i mean that's also a possibility if it starts raining or something i guess if it rains it'll cool down a little bit but you know if i can't sleep outside tonight uh, i will sleep in the basement because the basement gets nice and cool it's just a little humid down there yeah all right where should we start today with sports well there's only two teams that are playing right now all right um where do you want to start? Uh, I guess we could start White Sox if you want. All right, you want to you want to go ahead with White Sox this week here? Why don't don't we? All right. Um, I, I mean, you know the I I was out and about this weekend, but I saw Tony Larusa's name was trending on Twitter. Do you know why? I don't. I honestly don't. Well, he just passed somebody. He's now the second all-time winningest manager in MLB history. Uh, he just, I can't remember who he just passed, but he just passed that milestone. He's now second in all-time wins in MLB baseball for a manager. He's got a long way to go before he catches Connie Mack. And uh, unless he uh, pulls a Mr. Burns and just never goes away, I don't think he's going to break Connie Mack. Probably not. Um, and I mean, especially when he looks like the Crypt Keeper, I don't even know how much longer he's going to be standing upright. Yeah. So he just passed. Um, I just lost it. Uh, J- John McGraw. He just passed, uh, passed John McGraw now second all time. Uh, so there you go. That's why he was trending today. Gotcha. Well, I mean that's that's big news, I guess. I still hate him. Uh, it, I hate still hate him as a manager for this team. 
Um, I, oh, who doesn't? I mean, you've got you've got a a pretty young team, and you've got a, a lively team, and you get this boner for a, a manager. You know, would have been nice to have somebody somebody that was you know had some fight in them and ready to fight by their side instead of being a grump over in the corner. Yeah, that's why he's got a locker and I got an office. Okay, okay, question. Because going into the season, he was obviously very close to John McGraw in terms of wins. Now, he retired 10 years ago, obviously, before he came back. Do you think that, you know, this might be a silly question, but do you think that getting that second all-time spot was any sort of motivation for him to come out of retirement? Because... Look, we can go on and on why the Cub or the White Sox brought in Tony La Russa. The answer to that is pretty simple. It was Jerry Reinsdorf trying to mend a, a relationship from, what, 35-plus years ago, from whenever that happened. We know why the White Sox brought him in, and nobody else wanted to. It was the owner who wanted him, and what the owner says goes. The real question for me is why the hell would Tony La Russa want to? And I'm just trying to think of reasons. Is the potential of passing John McGraw one of the reasons he'd want to come out of retirement? I don't know. I don't think that would be a reason. I don't think that's enough of a reason for for somebody to come out of retirement. I imagine the payday probably helped. Well, Um, sure. I would imagine being in the spotlight again being relevant probably helped um, the fact that if he, he felt like he could take this club that's on the brink of, of being world series contenders and put them over the top, that would cement his legacy. I'm sure that had something to do with it. Um, I don't know if, if, if climbing, uh, you know, uh, another spot on the managerial wins list, maybe, I, who knows who who knows how to explain that dude because he's a he's a weird dude yes he is i mean i just i thought over and over over and over and over when that hire was made i wasn't asking myself white Sox, why are you doing it i was asking tony why the hell would you want to you're almost 80 years old you haven't managed in 10 years I understand the White Sox are one of the best teams in baseball right now and will be for a number of years with this core, but, I mean, there were other teams that would probably be, you know, maybe not now, but eight-plus years ago tempted to have you back, uh, try to bring you back, and, you know, you obviously weren't going to do that. So it, it just it felt weird, kind of like, why all of a sudden, he, you know, he, he agreed to this again. I, I could probably speculate a few reasons, like you just said, money, um, cementing a legacy, whatever. It still kind of boggles my mind. I just, it's not like it's football and there's 16 regular season games. Well, now 17, but, you know, and they're a week apart. This is 162 games of flying all over the country, and you're 76 years old. I just wouldn't think somebody of that age would want to be doing that. I know people have done it before. Jack McKeon did it with the Marlins, but still, you'd been you'd been out of the dugout for ten years. You're seventy six, and you, you you want to keep doing this again? I mean, it just 
it, it really surprised me. You know, I'm looking here is Tony LaRusa is now second. He's got a, almost a thousand wins to catch Connie Mack. Never going to yeah, happen. Yeah, he's not catching Connie Impossible. Mack. Impossible. I don't think anyone's catching Connie Mack. It, looking at it, it's hilarious. He's got a he's got a losing winning percentage. Who? Connie Mack. Connie Mack. Yeah. Well, you know, he managed for so long and he managed so many different teams. He probably managed a lot of pretty bad ones. He has he managed seventy six ties. There's a lot of ties. And how often do you see ties today? Like once every few years, if even. Do they even have a tie? Well, remember the Cubs tied with the Pirates in 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah. 76 ties in his career, whereas Tony La Russa has four. Yeah. Yeah. Sparky Anderson only had two. Bruce Bochy well, never tied. Well, how many, how many games did Connie Mack manage total? Um... A lot, like roughly <laughs> 7,700, 7,800 games. Yeah, and you know, that was a long time ago. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure by then the records are pretty reliable. I just, whenever you look at old records like that, sometimes you question, eh, you know, how how accurate are these? And But, you know, either way. He managed 7,755 MLB games. That's a lot. Um, if you divide that by 162, that's four, almost, that's like 48 seasons. We're not going to see that again. No. No. Just, yeah. I'm looking at, is there anybody on this list of wins that's not like a thousand years old? Mm-mm-mm. Let's see, Connie Mack, nope. Tony Larusa's old. McGraw's dead. Bobby Cox, Joe Torre, Sparky Anderson. Dusty Baker is the second most active uh, with wins. He's, yeah, that makes but he's sense. old. Um, Terry Francona is on this list, but he's kind of old, and he's nowhere near. And Bobby Cox retired, what, like a decade ago-ish? Um, oof, he retired, I think, 2010? 2010-ish? That's, that sounds about right. Because he retired, and then a few years later in 20, 2012, I remember, is when Chipper Jones retired. Because his final game of his career was the wild card game against the Cardinals with the infield fly that was like you know, in to center left field. Yeah. Looking, looking at this list, like of the active managers, like Joe Girardi is, he's like what? 55 or so. And he sounds about right. He's at a thousand 42 wins. Mm hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know how this happens. Like, nobody's ever going to touch that Connie Mack record. No, 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 no. It's kind of like, um, 
like Scotty Bowman in hockey, it seems unlikely that people are going to touch Scotty Bowman. Like, let's put it this way. Is um, how many wins would you say is a really, really good season in MLB? Um, 94, 95. So you would put 100 wins squarely in the very good season, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you win 100-plus games, that's, like, excellent. So if you started managing a team, as you're the brand-new manager, your first day managing, and you won 100 games that season, and then you managed that team for 37 seasons, and you won 100 games every season, after 37 years, you would still be second place in wins. Yeah. Yeah. Some records are just not going to be touched. Like, I I really don't see anybody batting 400 again. Uh, probably not. I mean, that one, I think, is much more... I mean, we've had guys flirt with it. It's much more possible than catching Connie Mack's win record, but I still don't think we're going to see it. Um... Yeah, you've had guys flirt with the 400. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, you're right. It's I mean, batting average is not that highly of a viewed um, stat anymore. So, um, and then plus, you know, with the way that they utilize bullpens. Um, and, like, I feel like, I feel like probably back in the day, there was probably some dudes that would just give you freebies. And I don't think I think it's now a thing. Is no, we don't want to let anybody get bat four hundred. Well, yeah, and I mean, just look at the way baseballs play today. Guys are throwing harder than ever with more movement. It's harder to put the bat on the ball. We're scoring runs. I mean, that's not changing. We're scoring runs, but we're not batting nearly as high. I mean, if you look at the runs scored versus the average, you see the runs coming. But the average is like an all-time low in baseball. And, you know, the other thing, too, is with advanced metrics, with studies, with all sorts of scouting, we see defenses, you know, we're shifting. So, look, they shift Anthony Rizzo all the time. How many times he hit a hard ball into the shift that was an out? A lot. A lot. But if they weren't shifting, his average would be much, much higher. He'd have a lot more hits. And that's the way baseball is. They're shifting. They're using their defensive alignments in certain ways. So even if you're putting the ball in play, it's still harder to get hits when your defense is aligned a certain way. You know, they didn't have all that fancy stuff back in the old days. And, you know, people are more athletic today. So, yeah, the hitter might be more athletic and stronger, but you also got to remember that a lot of these defenders, they can cover a lot more ground. They can make better plays. They got stronger arms. So it's just you know, less likely that a lot of hits today are going to land like they did back then. And you guys also got to remember, too, ballparks were much bigger back then in general. They had the polo grounds that was huge, really weird dimensions. So you had a lot more room to play with in terms of putting the ball in play and finding grass. 
Yeah, and I, I, you know, maybe my my view is skewed a little bit because I saw a um a player flirt with four hundred. You know, Tony Gwynn when I was in high school came really damn close. Um, Tony Gwynn was a hell of a player. I, I want to say he batted like three ninety four, three ninety five, somewhere around there. Well, I mean, if there was anybody within the past forty years to reach the 400 mark, Tony Gwynn would certainly be a good candidate for that. I mean, the dude's ability to just make contact and so smooth was remarkable. He really made hitting an art form. Yeah, I mean, uh, George Brett came close in my lifetime um, when I was... Um, trying to think of who else has come really close. Um, Tony Quinn, I I remember that one distinctly. George Brett hit, I think, 390 when I was real little. Um, I know Rod Carew, the year I was born, was real close. Larry Walker was at like 380, I think. I think year 2000, maybe. Um, let me look at Ichiro. Let me see how close he was. Nomar, Nomar batted like three seventy five one year. Okay, C- can we can we talk about something really quick regarding Nomar? Sure. You know, Derek Jeter gets a lot of love, and don't get me wrong, it's deserved. I know a lot of people don't like giving Jeter a lot of credit, but I will. But honestly, I would argue Nomar was a better player. He was. He might not have lasted as long. He might not have had the big hits. But you look at Nomar's prime, that dude was amazing. Um, Ichiro had a... I, I would agree with you. I mean, n- you know, not trying to take any, you know, s- jam up Derek Jeter. Um, I mean, the dude is rich and dates supermodels and, you know... Has many rings. Has many rings. Like, I, what can I do to, to tarnish him at all? Um, but... He was he was not a good fielder. Uh, no, he was not. You and look at his advanced metrics; they're not very good. They're not very good at all. Not even you know. Not even if you not just if you look at it in a historical context. If you look at it in the context of other players that played at the same time as him, he was not very good. I mean, not saying he was brutal, but he was he was average. He was an average shortstop, maybe even sub average. Uh, he was a guy that was a homegrown talent. In the biggest market, in uh, the perfect era, and he had some really timely hits. And very timely defensive plays. Even if overall he wasn't very good, he made a lot of big plays and big moments in the field. Um, I'm looking here because I'm trying to, I couldn't remember other guys. Ichiro batted 372 in 2004. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nomar batted 372 in 2000. Todd Helton batted 372 in 2000. Uh, that Larry Walker one was 379 in 99, not 2000. Um, so there have been some guys that have flirted, but you're right. I, that's it's going to be a tough one. I mean, fluky things have happened. I could see a guy, you know, come in. And do that one year, maybe way more likely with like than, a ridiculous babbit. 
Yeah, and it's probably somebody, and it would have to be somebody like Tim Anderson a couple of years ago when he had that like red hot fire start, and mm-hmm. then you know not get injured because you come back from an injury, you know you struggle a little bit usually, um, and you have to start off red hot and then just sort of ride that high average with, you know, um, till the end. I, maybe it's possible. It's way more likely than than somebody catching that managerial win record. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you. Absolutely. Um, just going back to Nomar really quick. I, okay, from 1997 to 2006, Nomar slashed 319, 369, 541 with an OPS of 910 and an OPS plus of 130. Like, that dude really was awesome in his prime. Now, again, he didn't last as long. He, you know, was only 35 when he last played in the majors. And Derek Jeter played a lot longer. But Nomar Garciaparra was arguably the best at his, was probably the best hitting infielder for, for a number of years, for maybe a good decade, yeah. maybe a little less. And, but And Nomar had... Nomar had, uh, what did he play for, four teams? He played with Boston, the Cubs, the Dodgers, and his last year in Oakland. Yeah. So, you know, that's a lot different than playing your entire career for the Yankees. And he never won a World Series. And he never won a World Series. He could have if he wasn't wasn't traded in 2004 to the Cubs. He would have, but um, he was traded, so therefore he did not get that ring. I wonder if he still married to that soccer player i don't know i can honestly say i don't know i also didn't know this he was originally drafted in 1991 by the brewers in the fifth round out of high school huh yeah and then he was taken 12th overall in 1994 by the red sox out of uh georgia institute of technology i i'm about to tell you something that i didn't know that makes me feel like a dumb pile of shit. Nomar is Ramon spelled backwards. I never noticed that. His dad's name was Ramon. He Nomar is Ramon backwards. Wow. I never noticed that. I didn't either. I'm just looking at it right now and I'm like, huh. Well, his real first name was Anthony. Anthony Nomar Garcia Parra. Yeah, Nomar is his his middle name. Yeah. That's... How interesting. Anthony Nomar Garcia Parra. Nomar. Nomar. Hailing hailing from, what is it? Whittier, California. Whittier, California? I've never heard of Whittier. Whittier is down in like Southern California. Well, now I know. I think it's in Los Angeles County as well. Um, but yeah, it's near Los Angeles. Well, makes sense. All right. But White Sox, uh, White Sox started off the week a little rough. Um, not the series you'd hoped against the Cleveland Indians or the former Indians or whatever they're called now. Um, you know, it was close games, but you end up losing that series. Um, 
you know, that's and that's a tough one to lose because that's that's the team that's closest in record to you. That's the one team you have any worry at all about. And it's the team that you want to, you know, you want to take care of business with. Um, and they end up being able to creep up in the standings on you a little bit there. Yeah, I don't think it'll matter much in the end, but you, you never want to keep that team that you could say, oh, they can creep up on us. You don't want to keep them alive, obviously. you got a long way to go, and there's still games to be had against them. But, yeah, you would have liked to have seen more wins in that series. They they were really close to coming back. I think when we were doing this show last week, they were down by a couple runs in the ninth inning, and they almost came back, but not quite. Um, but, you know, they were able to rebound and take three or four from the Tigers. And the Tigers came in playing some pretty decent ball, and, you know, watching the Tigers against the Sox, you are starting to see some of those future Tigers kind of take shape a little bit. So the Tigers are not a good team. They're not going to be a good team this year, but I definitely think they're going to give you a better fight than in years past. Um, yeah, I, I, I would tend to agree. Um, and then the White Sox were able to take care of business for the most part against the uh, the Tigers this week. I, you know, there were some games that were much closer than you probably expect. Like Friday, um, they uh, they had to come from behind to, or I'm sorry, they had to take the lead late to win the game, nine to eight. Um, Tigers had that one super big inning where they just they were beaten up on the middle relievers. I think it was Hoyer and Marshall. Uh, yeah. And, but the White Sox still put up nine runs, you know, uh, Yasmani Grandal hit two home runs. Madrigal hit a home run, which that's like Billy Hamilton hitting home run. Who hit two against the Orioles back to back. If I remember Yeah. He back to back to back games for Billy Hamilton. Um, mm-hmm. but Grandal had two, um, and you got a lot of guys giving you hits in that game. Um, and what's crazy is Yasmani Grandal is still batting like 150. Yeah, but his on base is like crazy, it, and it, he's got home run pop. It's he's kind of like a extreme Adam Dunn. He is batting 154 with an 833 OPS. That's pretty nuts. That's an those aren't you don't see that very much anymore. Uh, like Adam Dunn was at least usually between like 220 250. Yeah. Those are like 150 with like an 833 OPS is like a Pete Incaviglia numbers. Well, didn't Joey Gallo kind of do that? Uh, maybe. Th- those were kind of his numbers. Yeah, I'd have to go back and look on him. Maybe. Um, but then yesterday, Tigers took a 4-3 win against the White Sox. Um, and you saw an unusually not-so-hot start from Giolito. Um and, you know, Giolito, ERA pushing four, five and five record. You know, it's not what you expect from him. And I, we, we talked about this before. I, he, I, I, I think you need to find him a catcher. I think you need to find him a, a you know, a, a personal catcher. I think that's going to well, do The chemistry him. between him and McCann was pretty, uh, pretty yeah. noticeably good. Yeah. And you know, there wasn't really much of a way you were going to keep McCann, even if you threw him matching money for him, the opportunity to play more often is going to be huge. 
and you weren't going to, you're the White Sox, you're not paying a backup catcher that much money. You would have had to pay him a ridiculous amount of money just to keep him. For the reason, if they didn't have Yasmani Grandal, that might be a different story, but they do. And Yasmani Grandal was here to be the starting catcher for a number of years. So, yeah, I mean, you can't blame James McCann for it. And he he got exactly what he was looking for, a nice payday with the Mets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Uh... And then today, the White Sox, you had a, a really nice start. Um, Dylan, I mean, this this is like the epitome of what you would love to see in your game. Your starting pitcher gives you seven scoreless innings. You have your setup man coming in the eighth, and then your closer and lock it down in the ninth. It's like, it's it's exactly how you draw it up, you know? At least, I mean, now you use relievers more frequently, but... When my younger days, that was how you drew it up. Your starter gave you seven, you know, in an ideal world. And then you brought in your setup man for the eighth. Your closer came in and cleaned it up. And that's exactly what happened is Dylan Cease let him sprinkle five hits around with one walk, 10 strikeouts. And then Aaron Bummer came in one inning, struck out two. Hendricks came in one inning, struck out two. Neither gave a hit. And, you know, you you win this series pretty much pretty easily you know yeah I mean that's the ideal way to draw it up still and I know bullpens are getting more and more used and starters less and less but it's my opinion it's always a good day when your starter can go at least seven I think so I mean I know the philosophy going into things now is you don't want to see the uh you don't want the other team to see your starter a third time but you know there's if your starter has good stuff you know, seeing him a third time, it's, you know, it, should, it shouldn't still matter. At least give him okay. the opportunity. Look at postseasons of recent past, particularly closers. Look at Aroldis Chapman in 2016. Look at, oh, what's his nuts from the Astros the next year. Look at Kenley Jensen that same year in 2017. Look at Craig Kimbrell in 2018. There's a lot of similar patterns here is that a lot of these bullpens, when they get into October and go into the postseason, those guys kind of get burned out because they're getting used more and more and starters are going less deep into ball games. I just I think that sometimes you got to go to your starter and you just say, you know what, you got to go out there and you got to get outs for seven innings. I, I, I just sometimes I think that we're a little too, you know, a little too hook happy with some of these starters. I, I mean, and that, you know, I just, yeah, that's and, my opinion. And honestly, I, I think, you know, you, you see starters with, with less pitches nowadays. They're, they're, you know, fastball slider change up or curve in there. You're not developing pitches. You know, I, I, I think, I think if you, if you're training these pitchers to be able to go deeper into games, it's not always physical. Uh, you know, they go out there with a strategy is have a strategy to go out there and face face guys the first two times and then have that second gear in there for when they see you a third time. Throw them a wrinkle, you know, go out there and, and throw them something different than you threw them the first two times. Uh, that, that's That's kind of what you have to do. I don't, you know... A lot of these guys are going out well before 105, 110 pitches. And, 
you know, they, I feel like they, they're being given the hook early and they're not being challenged to go out there for a longer time. And you're right is you, what you're going to see, mark my words, you're going to see a limitation in maybe even by next year, you're going to see a limitation by MLB of how many relievers you can carry on a roster. And because they want to open up scoring a little more and you're going to have, you're going to have teams going, Oh shit. What do I do? Do I burn through my closers? Do I, um, do I have closers that I have, you know, middle relievers that I can bring up from the minors and send guys down, um, to just eat some innings? Do I, I you know, what do you do? I, I think, I think at some point the, the, the emphasis has to go to get starters going back more innings. I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but when I was a kid, starters went more innings, you, you know, they, they were more workhorse. Uh, and, and I'm not saying, oh, it's the good old days, but I'm, I'm saying is at some point that, um, baseball wants the games to be faster. Ga- baseball wants more exciting things to happen. And you're going to have that by less pitchers. You know, you've already gotten the, uh, the situation where, oh, you have to face three guys. And so you're not going, bringing in a, a new guy for, you know, one batter. And then the next pitcher comes in for the next two batters. Like you gotten rid of that a little bit, but you know, I, I think having so much bullpen speciality is hurting the game. Well, you know, even when I was a kid, starters were going deeper into games. And we're talking like early, mid-2000s. And I'm not just talking about Dusty Baker with Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood. I'm just talking about in general. I would say averaging seven-ish innings. Now, I mean, just a few years ago, you had Craig Council throwing in openers in the postseason. Like, like that is, you want to talk about like one extreme from the old days to the other. That's it right there. I just don't know how you can possibly maintain all those innings from these relievers, especially ones that are not stretched out and you're having them pitch all the time. I just, I think that strategy is kind of coming back to bite them when it matters most. And I just wonder if we're going to, through this shift, we might shift back towards trying to rely on the starting pitcher, trying to go deeper into ball games. And, you know, maybe you say, okay, you got to throw another pitch. You can't just throw fastball, curveball, change. Maybe add in a sinker or a splitter or something in there. Maybe you will see a change. I'm curious to see over the next five years how this continues because it just, to me, it doesn't seem like a sustainable philosophy to be like, oh, our starters will go five innings and then bullpen the rest of the way. It just, I, I don't see it working that way. I'm looking at um, the, let's see, the starting the workloads of starting pitchers from two, uh, 2015 to 2000 and 2015 was the highest innings per game. And it went down every single year through 2020 with a significant drop in 2020. So it went from 5.72 to 5.67 to 5.56 to 5.38 to 5.2 to last season, 4.73 so the average start wasn't even five innings. 
around baseball. Yeah, there you go. And pitches per game. Um, last season, the average starting pitcher th- didn't even throw 78 pitches a game. And during this time, n- they, nobody averaged 100 pitches. I, I mean, that was always sort of the number, 100 pitches. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and I know, I know 100 pitches can be different things you know, based on the weather or how hard they're hitting the ball or, you know, whatever. You know, you sort of have to – 100 pitches doesn't always the same as another 100 pitches. But I, I feel like we should be training starting pitchers to be able to hit that 100, 105 pitch mark and and get back to the point where you're averaging over six innings a start for the run the league for a starting pitcher. And, you know, I, I wonder if a factor of it, too, is a lot of pitchers now just throwing harder, so it's more stress on the arm. I mean, when Greg Maddox was throwing, you weren't really worried about strains with Greg Maddox, and he didn't really get hurt very much. The guy was a workhorse, and he had a freaking dad bod up there. But now that you have guys pumping in 95-plus, it puts more strain on the arm. Granted, uh, until Chris Sale got hurt, we saw him have a really nice stretch with all throughout his White Sox career and the first few years of his Red Sox career. I mean, every time he threw the ball, it looked like he was dislocating his elbow, but he was able to go out and dominate pretty much every single time. And, you know, Max Scherzer, he throws hard, but he's been a workhorse and durable. Uh, you know, you see guys like that are able to do it. So you just kind of wonder if there's going to be a balancing out of any of that. I just, I feel like the other thing with starting pitching too is that, you know, this is a strikeout game and you want more guys that could strike people out. So when you're striking out a lot of guys, oftentimes you're throwing a lot more pitches in less time because you got to throw the right number of pitches to strike a guy out and rarely do you strike a guy out on three pitches? They'll foul some off. You'll try to get them to chase, and they won't bite. Whereas when you had contact guys, you could be going up there, and every few pitches they were swinging and making outs or putting in play or whatever. So you could, you know, if you were being effective that day and you were just continually getting ground balls, flyouts, pop-ups, whatever, and you weren't seeing a lot of deep counts, it's a lot easier both on your arm and your pitch count to go deep, whereas a lot of guys are trying to strike out guys these days, so your pitch count climbs as the game goes along. Yeah, and, you know, you, you look you look at the roster, too. You can identify what your expectation is for number of, of, star, or of, number of innings pitch per starter on the day they're going. Like, um, when it's a Dallas Keuchel game, you you don't expect more than six innings. You probably expect five or six out of him. Dylan Cease, you expect six or seven. Giolito, you expect six or seven. Um, you you look on the Cubs, and even on a good day, Jake Arrieta, if he goes six, you're pretty happy, right? He's lucky to go five these days. Uh, yeah, I mean he's brutal, and whereas you know you you expect six maybe even seven from Kyle Hendricks in on a typical start 
not so much this year, but previous years, you're like, ah, six, seven, not even uncommon for him to go complete. Um, you know, when, when Lester was here those last couple of years, man, you were expecting four or five out of him. And, and that's, that's really what we're getting. And so on games where you're starting pitcher, you know, like, oh man, I expect seven out of him makes your bullpen so much, you know, less taxed, throw a guy out there for 10 pitches and another for one inning, another guy for 10, 12 pitches and another inning and boom, you're done. It's barely a warm up. Uh, but yesterday, like yesterday, I mean, I know we're sort of switching here to Cubs, but you, you look at what the Cubs bullpen had to do because Arietta shit the bed and gave mm-hmm. you two innings. And then Thompson had to come in two. Then Winkler had to pitch. And, uh, Wick had to pitch. Nance had to pitch. Maples had to pitch. You know, you used uh, outside of your starter, you used one, two, three, four, five guys. Well, yeah, and I mean, you could say he puked to the bed because he literally was puking apparently before, but, you know, Arietta just has not been very good and not been able to go deep, and, you know, that's the problem with that whole win streak, questioning are we legit or not, and I'd say if we had a rotation, I would say yes, but the thing is we don't. We don't have a rotation, and you look at the White Sox, they got a rotation. Their biggest bugaboo is middle relief. You know, Liam Hendricks has looked a lot better recently. He, He's looked great. He looks like the guy they paid. Yeah. yeah. Bummer, and, bummer. But their I, starters you, are really... Yeah. You feel good with bummer. Your starting pitchers, you feel good. You're right. They have the the middle relief. You don't know what you're going to get on each day. Like, right. You know, like, you'll see, you'll see a guy one day be like, oh, man, looking good. And then, um, you know, like, like... What was it yesterday or Friday? Hoyer pitches for middle relief, comes in for Keiko, who had a pretty solid game. Mm-hmm. Um, Hoyer comes in, doesn't record an out, gives up three runs. Marshall comes in, get, gets one uh, one inning in and gets three runs. Six mm-hmm. One inning, those two pitchers give up six runs. And the White Sox win it, but... You know, then Crochet and, and Hendricks had to come in and, and lock that game down. And honestly, is Crochet, Crochet went an inning, what, an inning and two-thirds, and you you had to bring in Liam Hendricks in for the last out of the game. Right. You know, and right. Garrett Crochet ended up pitching 30, you know, over 30 pitches uh, in a game that he probably didn't need to pitch in. Yeah, exactly, and that's... That's where the dynamic of bullpens gets so important. Obviously, closer and setup man are really your most two important guys in close games late, but the middle relief is more important than ever just because starters are not going very deep into ball games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think I think having a, a middle reliever, a long reliever, is super important in today's baseball. Because, you know, um, when I was a kid, that was more of a, that wasn't even a role, really. That was a, oh, hey, that's our sixth starter, um, or that's just some clown that we have in the bullpen. That's what he does. It's it's mop-up innings. Yeah, kind of the the outcast, so to speak. He wasn't the guy you count. You you know, he really only pitched in blowouts or in injuries or whatever the case may be, and he wasn't part of your important arms it was 
you know, your starter pit, starting pitcher, your setup man, and your closer were the guys. And you're seeing in today's baseball that's really important and getting that guy in the right situation because, you know, Hoyer, the same guy that got rocked the day before, comes in yesterday and and gets, uh, you know, an inning of work with 14 pitches and and works clean, you know? Mhm. Yeah, exactly. And it was in a it was in a tight game. It's not like it was it was a blowout game. You know, when he came in uh when he came in, the White Sox, let's see. The White Sox were were clinging to a Oh, I'm sorry, they lost. Sorry, they lost by one. They were, you know, down by one. So they were still in that game and you had Hoyer come in and and pitch a nice inning and you know so it's it's getting these guys in the right situation in the right day and and not having them be taxed by having to jump in and and pitch long innings and that's the one saving grace that you've seen with the White Sox their bullpen hasn't been taxed nearly as much as some other teams like you know the Cubs have yeah cough cough yeah, so the White Sox, the White Sox had a nice week this week. Uh, I mean, games were closer than you you would expect. Um, you know, you're you're starting to see some chinks in the armor as far as the offense goes. Uh, you know, well, it hurts when you have two of your top guys hurt, but of course, you're seeing good. At least you know you're you know I think. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, you know, you're seeing Yoan Moncada play like an all star, which is good. You've seen Yerman Mercedes cool off a little bit, which was as to be expected. Um, you know, just two observations. I, w- I wanted to bring up Yermin Mercedes. Uh, this may be completely coincidental and not related at all. Mm-hmm. And, but we, you know, we did see the cooling of Mercedes at some degree because you, you couldn't keep up that start that he had, the 460 no, batting would. average, et cetera. Um, but he really started to cool off after the whole incident where he hit the home run off the, the position player from the twins and was called out by his manager. Mm -hmm. You've seen, and then getting beaned and not getting backed up. He's, I don't know if that's coincidence or if that's a situation where he, he not being backed up by his manager has impacted his mental state and you're seeing it impact how he is at the plate. I'm not a psychologist. Yeah, I don't know I, him. I, I can't. I, I just saying that you, you're, if you look coincidentally, they happen around the same time and it's just worth noting. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really can't say one or the other. I do feel like the inevitable cool off was kind of due for this time regardless just the rate he was going and again it's it's not disrespecting him it it's just as you said nobody is going to maintain that. I mean you remember fucking Brian LaHare in 2012 with the Cubs mm-hmm. when he was red hot the first 2 months it got him an all-star nod and then he basically just reduced to being a quadruple a player in the second half and you know we're in june now it feels still super early but we are already in june so i i just i feel like the cool off was inevitable 
Um, whether it had to do with Tony La Russa, I, I really can't say. Um, but it is an interesting observation. So, yeah, I mean, we're like we're like a third of the way through the season. Yeah, it's kind of hard to believe. But I, I, you know, it's just every player, every player, no matter what level you're playing at, responds differently to um, different managers and their managerial styles. You know, I, I mean, I clearly didn't play anywhere near a professional level, but I played sports as a child and, um, you know, through uh, through high school and played club level in college. Um, but I I didn't respond well to being yelled at. Somebody yelled at me. I sort of shut down. I don't I don't like being yelled at. You know, I put a lot of pressure on myself. Meatball! Yeah, like I, I didn't like being yelled at. It was... And there's some coaches out there, managers, that that's their thing. They just yell at you. They yell, 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 and that's it. Um, and not everybody responds to that. You know, you look at a, a Tom Brady and, you know, Bill Belichick found the way to motivate him. Call him out publicly for anything. Is is the rest of the team could have shit the bed. Tom Brady could have played a meh game and he's calling out Tom Brady and that just motivated Tom Brady. That worked. He found mm-hmm. the way to work it. And everybody just has a different button to push. You know, Jordan, you didn't need to really motivate him because he was so motivated himself. There's just everybody yeah. has a different trigger. And I think being an effective, you know, this is a probably a, a much more common than it should be situation is you ha- you have a manager and when you fire him, you hire somebody that's his opposite. So if they were a disciplinarian, you hire a a player manager or a player coach. And then when it's time to fire them, then you go back to the disciplinarian because ownership somehow feels that that's the only two things you can be. But, you know, I would contend that a very successful manager knows how each player works and knows the buttons that you have to push for them. And there's guys that I'm sure in, in Major League Baseball that, I mean, I, I probably would have responded much better if I got beaned and my manager went out there and got kicked out of the game for, you know, yelling and screaming and, and you know, feeling like he had my back. No matter what, feel like he had my back. And when your manager just publicly says, no, he was wrong and I don't have his back and I, I'm... I'm okay with the other team beating him. I, I, I would, I would wither away, and so I, you know, I, I'm not saying that they're related. And you're right; he probably was due for the league to figure him out at some point. But I, it just, it just begs the question of: Does Tony Larusa seem like a guy, at least at this stage of his career, that's learning enough about each of his players? to find out what how they operate and and altering his style to best do what's best for the player. Well, I don't think he's really altering his style. He's just managing the way he's managing and the players are just playing the way they're playing. I mean, obviously it's working. They're in first place and they've been dominating, but you know, I I just I don't think you're ever going to see that nice warm fuzzy personal relationship between the players and Tony La Russa being formed. It's, 
it's not going to be like managers of the past. I just, I, I don't think you're ever really going to see that. If it wins, if it wins them games and all is good there, then it's not a big deal. Um, it's going to be forgotten if they win a World Series, but I just don't think we're ever really going to get to that point. That he's going to do what he's going to do. They're going to do what they're going to do. And as long as they're winning, then everything's fine, I guess. You don't want it to be that way necessarily for the players' sake. You'd want to see good relationships being formed between the players and the clubhouse. And look, I'm not in that clubhouse, so you know I don't want to say too much just assuming, but you know that's just the kind of the way I see it. They're going to do their thing. He's going to do his thing, and that's going to be that. I just think it's frustrating is because I think this team has enough of a mix of young, budding superstars and veterans that it's it would be worthwhile to to figure out how to how to properly manage this team. I think this team is doing what I think I think Tony Larusa is just on this bus. He's just on the bus. This bus is going however it's going on without him. He's not in the driver's seat. He's just sort of there. He thinks he's driving, mm-hmm. but I think he's sort of sitting in the back of the bus. They gave him a fake steering wheel and he's he's honking a fake horn and waving at people, moving his steering wheel, and and they're just going without him. He just sort of along for the ride, and, you know. They give him a butterscotch pudding snack every once in a while, and he just and he's happy. Uh, you know, I I think I think there, you know, there's enough personalities, enough enough, you know, veteran presence between Lance Lynn and Dallas Keuchel, and then you have mm-hmm. you know silent leaders, um, and then you've got like a Tim Anderson. I think. I think there's enough on there where this team is is sort of running themselves. Like, sure, it, Tony Russo so is yeah. going to make the the switches and pitchers, and he's going to make the lineup cards. But these guys are out there, you know, they're letting Mercedes know, hey, you know what? Fuck this guy. He he was okay beating you. Not okay. We got your back. It just sucks that your manager is not is not putting in the work to be what this team needs. And right. I, I think, I, I think this team is very, very good. I think you put a a better twenty twenty one manager because I'm not going to shit on Tony Larusa. The guy historically has done amazing things. Oh it's, yeah, there's there's no no question about that. It was just a different era when he did it. It's a different era. He's a different guy. He's he's almost eighty years old. Like you're right. not the same guy. It's as time can pass you by as a player, it passes you by as a manager. He's not. He's not the same guy. He's not meant for this team, and um, and I think if you would have hired the right manager, I think this team is even better. I think they're even better than they are. Right. I mean, like, look, Joe Torre was a is a Hall of Fame manager. He's an all time great. Would you want to bring Joe Torre out of retirement to manage a team in this day and age? No. No. Would you do it with Bobby Cox? No. And, and honestly, I, I would have, I mean, I mean, this is a slight exaggeration, but for comedy effect, I would have rather had a seance and brought Connie Mack back to manage this team than Tony Larusa. Literally, just you have a, just a cardboard cut out of him. just a Ouija board to make decisions. What did Connie say? <laughs> Ooh, he said, "Boo!" <laughs> the ghost of Connie Mack in the. 
White Sox dugout. That's our new character. <laughs> we we have Buttercup and John Lackey and then the ghost of Connie <laughs> Mack. Boo, put in bummer. <laughs> what is that uh, sitting at the edge of the dugout? Oh, that's the Marty Havlak crockpot. <laughs> let's warm up a lefty (laughs) (laughs) i love it (laughs) but um it's gonna be an interesting series coming up is um we have uh another decent team that i don't think the white Sox have faced yet this year the blue jays are are uh, the next opponent um I think it's going to be fun to yeah, see them. Yeah, watching uh, Vlad Jr., that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, that was a team that preseason, I think a lot of people had as a potential to win that division. And, you know, the, the Rays are just playing amazing. But I think Rays are going to come back to earth. You're not going to – I don't think you're going to see them keep this pace. But the the, the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays, Red Sox, and Yankees are are all right there in the mix with each other. I mean, the Orioles are clearly yeah, and the Jays dead. have had some uh, injuries. They have too, um, but I, I think I think they're you know they've still got a solid team, so it's going to be an, a nice series for the White Sox to to play, and then they get another couple games against the uh, the the Tigers, which you know, God bless having the Tigers. That really helps pad your record. I assume that series is in Detroit. I didn't look. I, I think probably, probably in Detroit. Um, let's see. Da, da, da. So you got the Blue Jays. Hey, wait. It is at Comerica Park. You're right. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. So. Um. Uh, yeah. So it you pad the you pad your lead with that, and then you you hopefully you hopefully can win out the series against uh the Blue Jays. But it's it's going to be a fun series, I think. Um, I think so too. Absolutely. I, I haven't I haven't caught a lot of Blue Jays games in in recent years, so it'll be nice to see uh you know a, a good Blue Jays team, and then to and they're still playing in Buffalo right now. Are they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll probably change soon. I don't know. But... Canada, Canada is still really strict with things. So, well, they, they just approved for uh, traveling for hockey. Oh, okay. Uh, for the semifinals. Okay. Um. Yeah, but this is this is at Comerica. I mean, a guaranteed rate. Sorry, Comerica, guaranteed rate. Mm-hmm. So, um, it's in Chicago, but yeah, Toronto. Um, and we get Carlos Rodon pitching game one on Tuesday. Um. So you start off well there. Holy cow! Looking at Toronto's injuries. Oof. Cole, Kirk, Biggio, Phelps, Springer, Merriweather, Baruki, Bergen, Mil- Jansen. Like they've got a lot of dudes on their injury uh, injury list. Yeah, they're pretty banged up. You know. Um, oof. Oof. <laughs> uh. But on the other side of the town, we had the once, the once red hot Cubs, um, kind of get a dose of uh, of um, reality here. Um, 
Yeah, they weren't going to keep that play up as long as they were, especially with that rotation. You really saw the holes in that rotation in San Francisco. And can we just take a minute to talk? How the hell is San Francisco like the best team in baseball? I have no idea. Like, I look at this lineup. I'm like, who are these people? Who the heck is this Vossler guy? Who's this Flores guy? Who's this Wade Jr. guy? Obviously, you see Brandon Crawford and Buster Posey. Those are two all-stars and two of the best at their position. And you have a pretty good rotation. You still have Johnny Cueto there. Kevin Gosman is good now. Um, not to be that guy, but did you see any of Saturday night's game in which Kevin Gosman pitched? I saw little bits and pieces of it. I just saw the middle two innings. And in those middle two innings, I, I don't want to be accusatory, but he relies on wicked movement on his splitter. Okay? And between every pitch... He was using his pointer fingers and thumb, and he kept rubbing the bill of his cap in between every single pitch. I'm just surprised nobody said, hey, can we look at that really quick? Because it was between almost every pitch. Especially since Major League Baseball came out the other day and said that they are going to start, um, to start you know, cracking down on that. Exactly. Now, in years past, did I care quite as much about substances like that? Not necessarily. I mean, I I didn't really condone it, but I'm like, you know what? That shit happens all the time. It's almost kind of part of the game, whether we like it or not. But when MLB baseball comes out and says that they're going to be super uber cracking down on that, and meanwhile, Kevin Gosman's getting great movement while ev- between every pitch he's multiple times touching the bill of his cap in the same spot. Like, okay, yeah, you can lambase Trevor Bauer and Garrett Cole. You know, they throw one pitch. Oh, we got to look at that. We got to look at that. But you have some of these other guys doing it, and nobody's really blinking of it, blinking an eye. Like, I don't want to call it a witch hunt, but it almost feels like they're targeting some of the big-time pitchers where, I mean, and Kevin Gosman might not be cheating. That might literally just be what he does. I, I would just like to see someone say, hey, can we take a look at that cap? And if it's nothing, it's nothing. But if it's something, then, you know, stay with what you were saying by trying to crack down on that sort of thing. I mean, it was very noticeable. In the little bit of the game I watched, between every pitch, you know, touch, 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 would kind of put his hand on the ball, touch, 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 you know, it just, and he throws with a lot of movement. So I'm just surprised nobody said anything. Yeah. I mean, he's a guy that is over 30 years old and suddenly is finding magic. Um, look at his, the giant jump in the recent years of his K's per nine and the dip in his, his walks per nine. And the big dip in his ERA. Mm. And not accusing. Just saying. Some people are late bloomers. It does happen, yeah, but... Yeah, yeah. Some some could happen. Now, I again, I wouldn't be saying this about Kevin Gosman if I just didn't see him noticeably between all those pitches constantly touching the bill of his cap. Yeah. If he wasn't doing that, I, I wouldn't really say anything other than 
He's just got to go in this year. But when I saw that, and, you know, again, I don't use Twitter really anymore, but I went on Twitter and looked up, like, Gosman hat, and I've scrolled through, and I saw on multiple occasions people tweeting, not just that night, but other nights he pitched to, like, you know, Gosman sure is touching the bill that cap a lot, so it's not like it's I'm the only one that noticed it. Again, it, it could just be a routine thing. Maybe it is, but I, if it is, I'd like to see closure on it. Like, I mean, you know, it's obviously too late now. Oh, the game was yesterday. It's over. It's done. Whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I again, I'm just really surprised nobody went out there and said something. Or the umpire said, hey, you're touching your cap a lot. What are you doing? Can I see that cap or can we switch it? Yeah, I mean... I- because honestly, I bet a lot of guys have been doing it, not just him. Oh, I mean, from the people in Major League Baseball uh, insinuating that this is rampant. Not not just, I mean, managers have said it, players have said it, announcers have said it. That nobody wants to, other than the, the manager of the, the Cardinals, nobody wants to directly say there's a problem, but everybody hints at the problem. And then Major League Baseball comes right. out and goes, yeah, there's a problem. We're going to solve it. And uh, so at that point, why aren't you, why don't you as a manager feel more comfortable yelling out to the, the umpire, hey, he's touching his hat a lot and he's throwing some nasty shit. Can we check the ball? Can we check his hat? Right, right. Heck, you know, I'm sure Craig Kimbrell might have put something on his fingers to get some of that movement. He's still really good, but... He had to change his hat a few times ago, you know. Yeah, you know what? If you if you check his hat, check the ball. I mean, they routinely will check the ball when somebody throws something in the dirt. Uh, you know, just just look. What's it hurt? Right. And maybe they looked when we weren't looking. I really don't know. I just it didn't seem like it. You know, maybe the umpire did take a look at the few balls. He didn't really see anything. Maybe between innings, somebody did take a look at something. I I really don't know for sure, but it it sure didn't seem that way. But, you know, MLB's just got to be consistent about this. Don't hunt after certain pitchers and then completely ignore others. It's it's really all I'm trying to get at. If you're really going to take this seriously, like you say, then live up to it. Do what you were supposed to be doing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, the Cubs, the Cubs, you know, you were feeling good. They, they were moved into first place. were playing great, uh, beat up on, on a very good Padres team. Um, and you're like, I, I honestly was sure that this Giants team was held together by witchcraft and bubble gum and they might still be, but that, they they beat the Cubs and they they frustrated the Cubs and you saw you saw the frustrations boil over a little bit between Wilson Contreras and Anthony Rizzo and I mm-hmm. I can't say for certain whether it's it's anything or whether it's you know just uh you know something very minor but you saw the frustrations coming to a head with with the Cubs in this series yeah you definitely did see it and. You know, you saw some approaches that were less ideal when things kind of turned bad. You had several games where you had early leads and you just couldn't hold on to them. And then everything just kind of unraveled after that. We talked about Jake Arrieta. I mean, 
honestly, Arietta might be the weak link in this rotation at this point. He's absolutely I, the weak link. I hate to link. say it, but I just I think he's toast. And you, you know, what do you what do you do with him? He's he's not hurt. What do you do? No, honestly, right now, until you can confidently say we need we have a better option, you're probably just gonna have to throw him out there. I mean, so yeah, Keegan Thompson. You want to go with Keegan Thompson? Okay. Do you go a six-man rotation? Do you replace one of the guys? I mean, you know, you look at the other guys in that rotation. Albert Alzali right now is pitching pretty impressively. He's going to start against the Padres again in San Diego. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Kyle Hendricks, he's not there, but at least he's pitching overall solid games. I mean, if you look at today, it looked like he was going to be lucky to go three or four innings. He was giving up hits, a lot of hard contact, but he adjusted, and he ended up throwing a quality start, six and one-third and three runs. He's giving up a lot of long balls, but at least he's, you know, still putting up quality, quality-ish starts where he's not giving up, you know, six seven runs in two innings like he was at the beginning of the year. But beyond that, Arietta's struggling. I, I have a quick Trevor question, to, you know, to yes. piggyback off of Kyle Hendricks. Do you think he's tipping yes. his pitches? I think so. Um, I I think that's part of it. I think because Ron Coomer said it on the radio today and you, you saw it early, you watched it. They knew it was coming. Like, they were waiting back and smacking the changeup early on. Then I think when they he kind of maybe changed a few things, mixed a few things up, he was able to, you know, use it more effectively. And, you know, I, I think, too, he, you saw just better command and location later on in the game, so he was able to get more swings and misses. But early on, when the stuff really wasn't breaking and being located exactly where he wanted... I think they knew it was coming because they were waiting back. And when you wait back and it's not moving very much, you're going to smack it. So I would not be shocked at all if he was tipping his pitches at some points because I think he's given up 20 home runs already. I mean, he's... That's a lot. I mean, you know, historically you've seen him, you know, a lot of the runs he did give up were on the long ball. Um, but... The, the runs were not very many, and he didn't have walks to accompany those. So it was he would go seven innings with, with, you know, one or two runs on two solo home runs. Like, okay, I can live with that. Um, you know, but he was missing a lot of bats. He had really good accuracy. Uh, so you're like, okay, there. You know, he's. You know, every once in a while, a guy would catch him, but there was. It's not a lot of damage because it was not guys on base. And now you're seeing people hit him and get on base. And it's, it's a much different story when they're hitting him hard. Yeah. I mean, look at his previous start against San Diego. The first four innings were brilliant. And then I think they started to kind of catch on to what he was doing. And then they started hitting him hard, whether it was home runs or it was just balls in play that were lucky outs. He was really getting hit hard. He wasn't really fooling anybody. And I think they kind of caught wind of what was coming and knew when it was coming, and they were able to wait back and smack it. So, 
you know, early on, the struggles looked very mechanical to me, and I think they were. You could just tell things weren't right. He, I mean, mechanically, he looks, to the naked eye, he looks better. Um, but, you know, he's still giving up long balls. He's still, you know, even when he's getting better results overall. Uh, so I, I, I don't think it's out of the realm that he's tipping his pitches from time to time, especially today, early on. Um, but being able to adjust to that, you know, that's where the good pitcher comes in. And, you know, every time Kyle's hit a rough spot, he's always been able to adjust. So you just kind of hope the same thing for him. That's the nice thing about tipping pitches. It's very, very fixable. Yeah. It just, you know, why aren't, why aren't you noticing it? You know, your, uh, your brain trust, your pitching coach, um, why aren't you why aren't you catching this and why aren't you figuring it out much sooner cuz it's gone on way too long yeah i mean even in years past when he was giving up long balls it wasn't like this right but you know you know like like i was alluding to earlier you talk about hendricks and alzali and then it's like okay zach davies just kind of lobs balls and hopes he gets out and sometimes he gets outs and sometimes he doesn't um and then you know you have washed up Arietta and trevor williams so your rotation is still by far your weakest link in my opinion absolutely and you saw you saw some of those cracks begin to show in the bullpen because that was not going to last because they've had to pitch so much absolutely you're seeing um you know a, a lot of uh you know, a lot of use you're, you're seeing really inconsistent starting pitching innings. Um, you know, you gotta, you, you've gotta, you've gotta get these starting pitchers to have more quality innings, more innings indeed. And, and this is, this is a bullpen that has done well, but you, they're not a bullpen that can, you can ride to a world series, they're one that, you know, you have to minimize their exposure a little bit. Yeah, I mean, on paper, I think you can definitely make a run with it. But when you toss all those innings, it's going to be a lot harder. You know, Craig Kimbrell is used as a closer. I mean, that's okay. But, you know, when you need Andrew Chafin a lot and you need Ryan Tapera a lot and you need Dan Winkler a lot, you know, that's that's going to wear on you. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely and this bullpen has gotten a lot of use yeah a lot a lot um so you know i don't know what else to say i mean you know you're you're getting some hitting um javi's javi's been hot or cold but chris bryan has continued his streak playing really well uh wisdom i you know, Patrick Wisdom, dude. He is our your mean Mercedes. I mean, you know it's not going to last at all. No, but this is crazy. Yeah, uh, I mean you're you're getting you're getting about what you expect, maybe a tick above for, with Sogard. Um, uh, Alcantara has been way better than what you were expecting. Mean, infinitely better than what you'd expect with him frankly i'd like to see him play a little more yeah. I, i'm not saying uh, uh 
not saying I want to play every day, but I don't really want Sogard playing every day either. No, um, nope. So um, there is one hitter that I really do want to talk about for a second. Um, he just came back, and the struggles are still here. Happer? I think you know who I'm talking about. Happer? No. Uh, Peterson? Uh, no. <laughs> you talking about Jason Hayward? Yes. Yeah, I... I mean, at this point, he is what he is. I mean, the last two seasons, you saw legitimate promise for him producing. He hit for power. He got on base. You know, he was producing. He was going the opposite way, hitting the ball hard. This year, I think he's off to a worse start than 2016 even. Yeah, but he's not getting the flack for it like he did that season. I think people are just like, meh, he is what he is. And... um. You, you know, you pay him a lot and you got to play him every day. Uh, his defense hasn't been as good as it has been. No, it's in that not. Armor. Um, I think that's just with age. You know, the arm starts to wear down and physically out there. And the problem is, is if he's not going to be a defensive superstar and he's not going to hit, then what? what is he? I don't know. I mean, you've seen significant dips in his defense and in Javi Baez's defense. Yeah, he's making a lot of errors, a lot I mean, of careless errors. I mean, Javi's at, like, what, 13, 14 errors so far this season? Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know if that's mental because it's a lot of routine stuff. I, I mean, yeah, this this team is, this is a team they're winning right now, and I, I hear a lot of, sports broadcasters talking well you know they this team might put uh jed hoyer in a predicament come trade deadline if they're still winning i mean do are you counting on the ways they're winning to keep happening until the trade deadline no and i know there was a report saying that selling is out the window at this point and i still think you need another few weeks to see what goes on i really do and i get there's going to be temptation because I think it is fair to say that no matter what, the Cubs will be hanging around. A combination of them seeing positives in some of their play with their offense and everything. But the division around them, nobody seems to want to take full control. The Cubs get hot. The Cardinals are not. Now Now the Brewers are coming. I The Brewers have been red hot. So it's yeah, they, kind of a they're, seesaw They're tied battle. for first. Right. So, you know, you you have that issue there where you're in a division where even if you play some mediocre ball for a few weeks, you're still going to be in the thick of things probably. But, you know, again, I I feel like you need another month or so to see what happens. I mean, okay, let's say you reevaluate right after the 4th of July. You know, a lot can happen between now and then. That's a full month. Yeah, it's a month. That's a lot for it to happen. And right now... You are relying on a bullpen that we thought was going to be bad. I mean, we thought this bullpen was going to be dog shit. Yeah, we did. We really did. And you're relying on basically three hitters right now. And two of them are guys that before training camp or spring training, we all went, who the fuck is that? (laughs) And, And the other one is Chris Bryant. So... I, I, those are the three guys that are that are you're riding offensively. 
two of them you expect to just come back down to reality really fast and really hard at some point you know i i don't i'm not going to say the bullpen is a flash in the pan but they are overachieving and at some point the the number of innings that they're that they're pitching is going to come back and bite them in the ass i agree so i honestly it, you know they if if they're still hanging around come trade deadline that's i think that's bad news because at then that just means i think that later in the season you're going to see everything catch up to them and you're falling out of out of contention and then you didn't get anything for the players you had you know if i if i think you ask me what this cub team truly is i'd say it's not quite as bad as those first three games in san francisco but it's not the nine and one homestand good that we saw right before that it's somewhere in between yeah, I mean, my my whole thing is, I never said the Cubs were going to be the basement dwellers. Like, um, my contention was always, yeah, they might compete for this division. Uh, yeah, I don't I think I don't think they'll win it, but they're not contenders for a World Series. Right? Not with that rotation. Not with that rotation. No way. And not not with the guys that are are their offensive leaders. Chris Bryant, you feel, you know. He's got the pedigree where you're like, okay, he could, he could hit through the the playoffs and into the World Series. Are you relying on Alcantara and Wisdom to to hit like they are for the rest of the year and into the playoffs? No, 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 no. no. It's going to be a matter of time before they both hit a wall. You can appreciate the hell out of what he's doing right now, Patrick Wisdom, because what he's been doing is really special. Absolutely. you know it's not going to last. Yeah. Again, it's not going to last for any player. It's just like we said with Yermin Mercedes. Like, I, I really appreciate what it is, and I, I hope for the best for him, but he's he's not a 460 hitter. And just like Patrick Wisdom's not a 412 hitter with a 1500 OPS. Right. Patrick Wisdom right now, 412, seven home runs, 10 RBI, uh, 1,533 OPS. He's got a, is, <laughs> he's got an almost 1,100 slugging percentage. And also keep in mind, he'd have eight home runs if hit one of his absolute bomb drives wasn't knocked down during that windy, cold day at Wrigley Field uh, last Friday, I believe, yeah, against no, the Reds, where they won one nothing. Yep. Um, that would have, like, hit the scoreboard, according According to like the metrics and the wind uh, analysis, if that wind wasn't blowing in at 40 miles an hour. So he'd have eight. Yeah. I mean, looking at the rest of that batting lineup, Hayward, he's a right now 561 OPS. I feel like that has to come up. I think, I think it will come up. I'm not saying it will come up a lot. I think it will come up. Hap is at 651 OPS. That's going to come up. Um, I don't know how much. Um, He's been pretty streaky this year. Rizzo is at a 770 OPS. I don't know how much better I expect out of him. He's he's not been that great this year. And Baez is at a 757 OPS. And I'm not going to lie, I don't see a huge uptick there either. Well, you know with Rizzo, when he came back after the back issues in that San Diego series, he was stinging the ball. Like, 
his he was up in the 270s in average and I think in the 800s in OPS. He was pretty much his slash in OPS was really right around where his career numbers are. But then in, in San Francisco, he did not have a very good series. And, you know, we need to we need to see Rizzo hit for some more power again. We have not seen him hit a home run in a while. I want to see him drive the ball a bit more again. I won't hold too much against Rizzo. I think overall the numbers are okay for his age and for his back issues. Um, but, you know, it, it, to your point, you have Bryant slugging the ball. You have Patrick Wisdom slugging the ball. You have real streakiness from Jock Peterson and Ian Happ. Some weeks they're locked in. They're stinging. They're having great plate appearances. Other weeks they're just not getting anything. They're not buying a hit. Uh, Ian Happ's bat speed seems to be changing every at-bat. Sometimes he's able to crush a ball. Sometimes his swing looks like a big golf club and he can't catch up to a fastball. Um, so you're seeing some inconsistency overall from the outfield, outfield performance outside Bryant. Um, so, you, you know, it's it's kind of your typical Cubs roller coaster with the offense right now. But the good thing about I, that I could say about the offense is, at least since that historically awful start, you have seen a lot of good things, especially with their ability to make a bit more contact. Even if, if it's not, you know, hitting home runs left and right every game, but they're making more contact and at least pushing across some more runs, you at least like to see that a little more. So it's going to be interesting to see what the next few weeks bring, especially with a tougher schedule. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we get the... Uh... We get the Padres again, and, you know, it's not going to be a cake. I mean, it's kind of cakewalky the first time. I don't think it's going to be the case this time. Um, you're gonna no, get, not in San Diego. Yeah, you're going to see a different team. Um, and, and you're seeing some of their best pitchers. Yeah. Are we, let's see. Are we getting uh, you? Let me look at the potential matchups. I mean, you's been great. And that trade still just disgusts me. But I won't go off on that tangent again. So tomorrow night, uh, Ryan Weathers versus Albert Alzali. We saw Albert Alzali and them pitch. Um, then we get uh, Lamette. Yeah, we get, day. we get you, Darvish, good. versus Jake Arrieta. Yeah. Yeah, that last. Uh, yeah, 526 CRA and... 1.5 whip versus a 2.25 ERA and 0.93 whip. Uh, 42 Ks versus 84 Ks. 22 walks versus 17 walks. 11 home runs versus seven home runs. So yeah, yeah, it's a uh, it's it's not going to be it's not going to be a fun. I mean, I don't I don't expect that that third game to be a win by any stretch. Um. You know, maybe, it's going to be much tougher yeah. this series, much much tougher. I, I think we're going to see a series much closer to the the Giant series, where games are close, and there's somewhere we just get blasted. But um, then we get the Cardinals after that. Yeah, luckily that one's at home. Yeah, but it's still it's you know that the Cardinals might have that voodoo magic that you know they they catch back up in the division. <laughs> right now, the Cardinals are not playing very well, but you give them a few days to get them a few wins, and you never know. 
um, yeah, so it's, uh, you know, it, you hate you hate seeing the Cardinals. They just historically just really had the the number of the Cubs for the last few years. I mean, I, I mean, I guess not the few years, but historically they've really had the Cubs numbers, and they're always the the division rival, and they're the team that I think most uh, the majority of people, I would say. They were the team in the division that had the most people predicting them to win. Right, especially when they picked up Nolan Arenado. Right. Um, Their pitching staff is really banged up, though, so we'll see. Um, yeah. Um, and then... Uh, and then you're hearing reports. This is baseball-related, not baseball-related. I mean, not current baseball-related. Is... Um, Heritage Auctions claims that they're auctioning off Ben Zobrist's World Series ring in August. Didn't wasn't didn't they say that wasn't true? Which Heritage Auction is like a very reputable like organization. It's not it's not like some fly by night. But then his agent said he's not right, um, which. Um, I, where where does the truth lie? Because I, I don't think there's any way like a reputable organization like Heritage is going to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got a World Series ring and advertise that they're going to auction it off in in like two months and start plugging that if they don't have it. I mean, yeah. So it makes me believe that at some level, you know, even even if the truth lies somewhere in the middle between the two, because they, they're well, Paul polar- Sullivan is saying he's taking pictures of his World Series ring and he's not selling it. That that might be. I mean, maybe that's the case at this point. Maybe he maybe the hope was that they could auction it off without saying whose it was and that when it when it did and you saw the reaction of people backtrack, but it's, it's really hard. These are two polar opposite, um, you know, v- versions of the story. One saying no, 0% chance. And the other one's like, yeah, we're auctioning this off. It's it, where, where does this, to- where's the truth lie? I'm believing Zobris and his agent. I mean, it may be at this point he's saying no, but where would where would Heritage Auctions get the idea that, that he was going to sell it? Um, you know, was was there conversations about the possibility? Was there conversations saying, what do we think we can get for this? Was it, um, you know, did, did he end up getting divorced? I think so. Did, is it his wife and is it, her, her attorneys that that brought this as forward um i i don't know i it's it's an odd story and you know i i don't think like what does heritage auction have the benefit being you know saying publicizing that hey we've got a big ticket item coming for our next auction and then to be told no 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 you're total lying um you know, especially I'm reading the quote here from 
from Zobrist's agent. And none, um, nowhere in there is he accusing Heritage Auctions of lying. He's saying uh, that he's, it makes no sense that he's not going to sell it. Which makes me feel like there's, I don't know, I feel like there's there's a story somewhere in the middle here. Was it, you know, was he being told by the ex-wife that, you know, it was being auctioned off and or that the being told that there was some court order where this could be auctioned off as part of marital assets and um, and they were acting on that. But, you know, if I had a World Series ring and a lot of money and it was like, oh, no way I'm selling this. And a company was like, hey, we're selling Sean's ring. I'd be like, uh, the fuck you are. And I don't know where you got that information, but you're dead wrong. And I would be throwing the accusations at them saying, listen, where, what in the world do you make you think you have that? Put your cards on the table. That isn't the the reaction that we've gotten, which makes me say like, all right, you know, why wouldn't they say that if there was if there was, if Heritage didn't have anything. Does that make sense? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm saying probably at this point, I mean, maybe, maybe part of the divorce agreement, dividing assets, and the wife thought that was the ring, and he was like, no, I, let me give you the money that it's worth instead and buy you out of the ring. Maybe that's a possibility. Maybe. Divorces can I'm- get real ugly. Yeah, yeah, who knows what happens behind those closed court doors with those lawyers. I don't know. Um, Very strange, though. Very, very strange. Yeah, so I I wish him the best. Whatever happens, I wish him the best. Me too. Um, You know, I I hate to see anybody sell their you know, their championship ring. It's, um, you know, that's something that you should be very special. You bring with you forever. Um, you hate to see somebody while they're alive, sell it for any reason. Right. Uh, um, any more baseball talk that, that you have, no, not really. Um, I don't really have any basketball or or hockey talk at this point. I mean, the season's just sort of ended. Yeah, dead um, quiet on the Blackhawks Bulls front. Uh, you know, I, I I do want to talk a little Bears. I mean, there's not a ton going on. Um, we're starting to see Bears sign draft picks, and it's exactly what we said. Um, that once June first came. And they were officially able to get uh, the Charles Leno money off the books. You'd start seeing seeing them sign their draft picks, and I think they've signed everybody but um, Justin Fields and Tevin Jenkins, and we'll see them sign soon. Um, we did see um, in a practice a few days ago that rookie wide receiver Daz Newsom break his collarbone. Yeah, that was a bummer. Yeah, I mean, they're saying that he's going to be back and it was a clean break, doesn't need surgery. 
um, and he'll be back for for tr- training camp, which is good. Um, so hopefully, hopefully that that's his injury history, and he's done. He's good, and he's healthy. Not saying that I think he's going to be the world beater, but um, you know, you need all the talent you can get out there with this team. Uh, and and so having having a rookie wide receiver that you know look good in college out there is is going to be better and it also gives you an opportunity to evaluate where you are with Anthony Miller is if you got some young guys that can take their place what's the point of having paying his salary and you can dump him without any any cap hit right um the other thing i just sort of want to uh, talk about it it's not bears direct directly related but it does impact the bears situation as far as their likelihood of winning the division it really looks like aaron rodgers is not going to play for the packers Well, he had that appearance on ESPN when he was on vacation. I don't know if you saw that. I didn't. He was like, "Yeah, you know, uh, you know, I, I love, uh, oh, what's his nuts, Jordan Love." Um, but you know, the philosophy has changed. I don't remember his exact words, but you should go check it out. I, I heard him talk about Jordan Love, and I did see that the the president of the Packers blogged about the situation. And um, saying, oh, you know, it's it's not productive for either side to be discussing this publicly as he's posting it on a blog on, a on, blog. on to the fans on the team's website. Like what a dingbat. Like it, it seems like the Packers, hmm. the Packers are don't want to trade him, but they're bungling this up every which way, which I love to see. Um, but I, we'll see. I think Aaron Rodgers is supposed to be reporting to tomorrow to some sort of, uh, mandatory camp. Um, and so we'll see, um, you know, where, where that goes, you know, uh, if he doesn't show, I think it's $90,000 that he's going to be fined. Which and to him, it's probably pocket change. Yeah, that's not. But if he if he decides to retire, they could go after him for like thirty some million dollars. Oh, yeah. Now that is that is a lot of money. I mean, he can afford it. It's not like I mean, it's not going to bankrupt him. It's not. Gonna, no, it's, it's not. not going to be is, feel it nice. Is, it is a nice chunk of change, though. Yeah, it's it's he's going to feel it. Is not going to kill him, but it's going to he's going to feel it. You you wonder at that point. Um, but here's here's the reality: is at what point did the did the Packers go? You know what we have? I think they probably do have more of the leverage, but do they think they have as much of the leverage as they think they do? Um. Because at some point, if he just stands his ground and says, you know what, I'm just going to retire. I'm going to flat out retire, whether it's a Carson Palmer retirement to get out of your contract or, you know what, 
I'm 37. I coming off of a, uh, an MVP season. I'm going to retire. And the pe- holds jeopardy. Even just to hang out in Hawaii or whatever it is he wants to do. He can do whatever. Um, he could actually retire. And where are the Packers? They just brought in Blake Bortles because the rumors are that Jordan Love still doesn't know the playbook after a year. Mm-hmm. And that they don't. And why they don't why feel they confident just suddenly in him so bring far. in what's his face? Um, they just signed. Well, they just signed Blaine Gabbert, like you said. So clearly, they were getting ready for something. Um, you know, so they if it you know at some point if they stand their ground too much, and Aaron Rodgers really isn't going to blink, then the Packers are going to be in a situation where they got nothing, and they're not going to you know. Aren't they smarter to trade him and recoup some picks? Get something for him rather than than get nothing? They get nothing Go if he retires. Go phone John Elway. Yeah, you get absolutely. Phone he re- up Denver. Yeah, if he retires, you get nothing. You get nothing. Wouldn't you rather have a couple first-round picks and a player? Hey, now they can use that $30 million to put in some quality new cement in their parking lot or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's $30 million, but it's not like it can go towards salary cap. It's it's already accounted for in their cap. It's $30 million that they would get to put back into the team as far as in their their actual finances, but not it doesn't impact their um, their cap. So it's, I mean... Right, no, I know. So it's it's... You know, to to a team that's worth four billion dollars, eh? What's thirty million dollars? That's just punishment. They're just punishing him if they go for that thirty million. I think, I think Bolt. You know, I I don't know Aaron Rodgers' financial situations, how his investments have looked, how much he's made or spent. You know, as outside of his football contracts, but thirty million dollars is a lot of money. Can he afford to pay it? Is it worth it to him to that point? I don't know, but the Packers don't seem to be blinking right now, and neither does he, and somebody's somebody's going to have to blink at some point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, again, I don't know Aaron Rodgers either, but I my guess is that I think he's doing pretty okay. And look at all the other stuff he's done outside of just being the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Look at all the TV entertainment stuff he's been involved in. He'll... He'll, I mean, he's made a lot of money just in general over his playing career. And then you add that on top of it. And even if he does retire and has to pay that, I think he'll get plenty of money doing other things going forward. But, you know, not every professional athlete that makes a lot of money makes wise investments. So I'm looking you know. I'm the Google search. His estimated net worth is $120 million. So he could give back the $30 million and still be super filthy rich that he's got enough money where he could never worry about money ever again. Um, and for well, dude, plus, doesn't he have a stake in the Milwaukee bucks? I think, I don't know. He may, um, but you know, he doesn't have kids. It's not like he's, and he doesn't talk to his family. <laughs> so that, right. it's not like he's saving that money for future generations. Uh, I mean, I think he does have enough money where he could just be like F off. F off Packers. I, I mean, I'm not trying to spend his money, but I don't know. I'm as a Bears fan, I guess what ultimately this relates to is if Aaron Rodgers either retires 
or forces his way out of Green Bay, how does the landscape of this division change? Well, I mean, I think it changes a lot. It opens the door, really. I mean, if you're just looking at next year and Aaron Rodgers is out of the picture, now, of course, knowing my luck or our luck as Bears fans, Jordan Love is going to be a next Hall of Famer, but it doesn't sound like even if he is going to be a good quarterback, he's necessarily ready to take those reins from what we're hearing. So, I mean, if the Packers are led by Blaine Gabbert, or not Blaine, it was Blaine Gabbert, right? Was it, Blaine, they signed? Was it Bortles or Gabbert? Or Blake Bortles, I'm sorry, Blake Bortles, not Blaine Gabbert. Blake Bortles. If Blake Bortles is the starting quarterback for the Packers in 2021, then really I think it's going to be a battle between the Bears and the Vikings. The Lions are going to be rebuilding, though I do think the Lions can at least be a bit more competitive, even if you don't have Matt Stafford anymore and you replace that with Jared Goff. And you still have a ways to go in your rebuild, but I just I think a new regime that they have, and I think they actually might know kind of what they're doing, so that alone might help them a little bit. But I don't think they're ready to make playoffs yet, so I think really it's going to be a battle of the Bears and the Vikings. And of course, we're going to see what happens with, you know, the Bears starting quarterback situation. Are you going to roll with Andy Dalton for a while? Is Andy Dalton going to help you win games? Is the defense going to be good enough to help Andy Dalton win games? You know, you know, this year it would be very, very interesting. Personally, I think if it were to be a Blake Bortles led Packers team, I would guess that people, if the betting people would be putting money on the Vikings, that'd be my guess. Because, you know, Justin Fields was just drafted. Andy Dalton looks like is going to be the starting quarterback. And with the Vikings, you still have Kirk Cousins. You have some playmakers on that team. You get some guys that got hurt last year healthy again. You still have Dalvin Cook. And you have uh, Adam Thielen. Still, I think. But, you know, either way, you have good guys on that, that team I would think that the Vikings would be the favorite if that were to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think with Aaron Rodgers, you expect it to probably be a shootout between the Packers and the Vikings. Probably I would lean Packers as the division leaders. Um, I would probably lean to them pretty decently. But really, with with Bortles? No, no, no. I said if if Rogers stays. Oh, if Rogers stays. If Rogers okay, stays, I then think yes. I think you know Packers win this division. Yes. Reasonably comfortably. Yes. Um, and then Vikings, Bears, Lions. I think that's yes. the the way it goes. Um, I think yes. I think the Lions are a hot mess. I, I mean, it. I'm not going to judge with this new administration regime how they're faring i just think that they were a bad team that had a very good quarterback that held it together i think jared goff is kind of trash that was a product of of a very good head coach in los angeles and i i don't think there's going to be any magic to prop him up um so I, I don't think so either. I don't think Goff is very good. I just think that a new regime can help depending on how well it does. We we have yet time to judge it. I just think that the Patricia regime was just so bad. Yeah, I don't think you're going to see them be clowns, and I just don't think you're going to see them win a lot of games. 
Uh, right. Yeah, I not, think a lot of people yeah, agree there. I'm not going to say that they're going to be an absolute debacle of a team. It's just that their talent, their talent is very deficient. And now the, the most important position in football, they, they went from being number two in the division to d- dead last in the division. Possibly. I, I mean, um, and I mean, that could change any day now, depending on what happens with Aaron Rodgers. But if Aaron Rodgers goes, I don't think that Packers team is anywhere near as good as they look with Aaron Rodgers. Is Packers fans, they really don't understand how a good quarterback can prop a team up. And you're going to find out real quick of what the rest of your team looks like when you don't have an MVP at quarterback. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers is gone, you'll have Devontae Adams at wide receiver and you'll have uh, the running back, um, blanking on his name, uh, Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Aaron Jones could be a good running back no matter what. If their line is decent enough, then he can still go off and go on 1,000-plus yards rushing. But, but without, when you don't have a good without quarterback, a good quarterback it really makes you don't have as big of a threat. You can gear up right. to stop that run. If you right. have, if you're going with Bortles or Love as your quarterback, you can bring that safety down because you don't worry about getting beat deep. And you can bring that safety down. You can gear up to stop the run and enforce them to beat you with the pass. You with Aaron Rodgers, you had to play them to, you know, as best you could to slow down Aaron Rodgers. And that gave you wide open to run. Uh, I, I think they're going to realize how quickly what a mediocre team they have there. Um, I think the defense is all right, but when they're not playing with a lead and they don't feel like they can score 30 points in a game, when they're struggling to score 18 points a game, that we're going to see how good that defense is because defenses, when they have a good offense, can play a whole lot better because you don't have the pressure. You can take risks. If you're like, I'm a cornerback and... You know, if I get beat, you know, if I try to jump a route and I miss and my guy gets the touchdown, it sucks. I'm going to feel embarrassed. But guess what? My offense is going to go down there and score a touchdown and make up for it. It's a lot different than if you're like, shit, I want to jump this route. I think I can jump this route. But if I don't and they score a touchdown, we're losing. Of course, you're not going to try to jump that route. You're going to try to play it more conservatively and you're going to see that impact the defense. You're going to see it. I yeah. think oh yeah. I think if Aaron Rodgers does not play for the Green Bay Packers this year, you see the Green Bay Packers finish third in this division. Yeah, I could see it. I could see it. Um and I think then the Packers it opens them up to run away with it. I mean not the Packers, the Vikings opens them up to run away with this division. But again, uh they're riding with Kirk Cousins. If Kirk anything happens to Kirk Cousins, they're a decimated team too. Who's even their backup these days? I don't even know. Uh, they drafted uh, they drafted a quarterback in the fourth round or third round. I know they drafted a quarterback, but would he be QB two or is there another veteran on that roster? Um. Uh. If not, I, they could have Nick Foles. All that money. 
I, I mean, I think, I think the, uh, I still think Nick Foles gets traded to the Jets. The Jets really don't have a veteran on that team. No, they don't. So the the depth chart for the quarterbacks for the Minnesota Vikings is Kirk Cousins, Kellen Mond, who they just drafted, mm-hmm. Nate Stanley, and Jake Browning. Who the hell are those two guys? Oh, guys. <laughs> um. Well, that answers that question. Yeah, and you look at the Jets' depth chart, just going back to, is they have Zach Wilson, who they just drafted, number two overall, James Morgan, Mike White. Ooh. So, and they've got a lot of cap room. Why in the world wouldn't they want to bring in Nick Foles? They, and they know they're not going to win this year. No, but why wouldn't you? Nick Foles is, you know, they've got the money. They can absorb it. They can absorb that hit easily. Uh, they don't have to give up hardly anything for him. They could probably give up a conditional sixth round or seventh round pick. And they get him. And that is in the quarterback room, having a Nick Foles to help out. I think that's valuable. I think that's very valuable. What, what did James Morgan and Mike White bring to, to Zach Wilson? You bring in a Super Bowl MVP from a couple of years ago. I think that goes a long way. I think that goes a huge way. You literally sound like you're Ryan Pace trying to pitch it right now to the Jets. No, because I sounded competent, like I could do it. Ryan Pace, oh, (laughs) we collaborated to make this flow chart. Uh, We collaborated and made this crayon drawing of that we'll give to you if you take Nick Foles off our hands. <laughs> it's just a stick figure of Nick Foles in a Jets helmet. Uh, but quickly going back to Aaron Rodgers is I read an article, like an actual article in a reputable sports uh, website. And they said that, you know, Aaron Rodgers had uh, an MVP season after a couple after three mediocre seasons. And we're talking mediocre by Aaron Rodgers standards. So 2017, he was injured. Right. So I'm not going to include that. But 2019 and 2018, he threw for, in two years, he threw for 8,444 yards. 8,444 yards with... uh. 51 touchdowns and six interceptions and a 96 quarterback rating. On what planet is that mediocre? It's not mediocre at all. It's mediocre by Aaron Rodgers standards, maybe, but no, he's it's still not mediocre. I mean, I guess, I guess if you look through what he did from 20, I, I, 2009 I'm to 2014. Like 20, right. I'm talking like 2011 to like 2014. But that's still top-tier quarterback-level play because in both those seasons, he threw for 4,000-plus passing yards. And when you throw six interceptions in two years and 50-some touchdowns, that's still amazing. That's still top-five-esque. 
was it as great as he was in his absolute prime? No, but it's still pretty dang good. It's still really damn good. It's still fucking damn good. 4,442 yards, 25 touchdowns, two interceptions with a 97.6 quarterback rate. That was mediocre, according to this article. Would have been the single greatest quarterback season in Bears history. Well, no, I mean, that's not saying much, but yeah. Um. I, I just, I it's mind boggling. Um, I'm looking at the league leaders in that season. Um, 2018 regular season. Um. Da, da, da. Let's see passing yards. Ben Roethlisberger threw. F- and Patrick Mahomes threw for over 5,000, which was ridiculous. Um, Aaron Rodgers was sixth in the NFL. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, one, two, three, four. Yeah, he was sixth. Aaron Rodgers was sixth in the NFL in passing yards that year. I don't know how that's mediocre. When if you want to go and look for the Bears, um, who was there leading? Trubisky at 3,200 yards. Uh, and then... He was a pro bowler, though. Yeah. And then touchdowns. Um, one, two, three, four. So I guess they were like, oh, he was, he was top 10 in touchdowns. Mm-hmm. He was 10th. Okay. Patrick Mahomes threw for 50. Okay. Um, but you look at interceptions... Roethlisberger had 16, Luck had 15, Keenum had 15, Darnold had 15, Winston had 14, Mayfield, Rosen had 14, Newton had 13, Rivers, Fitzpatrick, Trubisky, Goff, Mahomes, Josh Allen, Tom Brady, every single... No starting quarterback threw less touchdown or less interceptions than him. Pretty impressive. None whatsoever. Um, let's see. Out of anybody that threw for f- over 1,500 yards, Alex Smith was the next guy, and he threw five interceptions. And he only threw for 2,100 yards. So for guys that threw... So he... I don't know how you call that mediocre. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't up to the standards of Aaron Rodgers in his absolute prime, but it's still really damn good. Yeah, I just think losing him, whether by trade or by him retiring, um, I just think that really sets the Bears up. And I'm not saying the Bears are world beaters. I just think they've stabilized themselves a bit. And... They can beat the Packers, and I think the Bears would be second. Um, And it sets up a position where by the end of the season, there is a possibility that Justin Fields could be the best quarterback in the NFC North. It's possible. We'll see. Let's hope. If Aaron Rodgers, you know, is true to his word and he's not for the Packers, he's out of that division. Um. 
I Jared Goff, I think, is trash. Uh, it's clear that the rest of the quarterbacks on the the roster for the the Packers not very good. I'm I'm not a big believer in Kirk Cousins. You know, I, I don't think he's I, trash. I, think, I just don't think he's good. I think Kirk Cousins is just he's he's weird because you see that. When it comes to the spotlight against big teams, he tends to crumble, not do very well. But he always puts up pretty good numbers year in, year out. I just Do I think he's the guy that's going to lead you all the way to win a Super Bowl? He hasn't proven that yet. Maybe he can do that someday. But, you know, he, he's kind of that guy where you're like, he does a lot, but he also doesn't do enough. It, it's it's a weird situation with him. He's he's one of the more interesting slash weird quarterbacks we've seen in the NFL. I I just I'm not sold on him. I don't think he's a I don't think he's a quarterback that you could ride to a championship. I think he's I think he is a meh quarterback and golf is trash. Every other quarterback that's not Aaron Rodgers on the Packers, I think, is trash. And Justin Fields, if he's the guy we think he is, is and he gets a shot at the end of the year, could be the best. I mean, not the best stats wise. I, Kirk Cousins is going to have the best stats in this division, I think. Um, yeah, but you know, eyeball test and just ev- evaluating. You know, uh, it was clear that the Vikings wanted Justin Fields. Um, they would have, they would have probably sat him and then Kirk Cousins finished out. I think he's on the last year of his contract, let him set off and then, you know, continue on with Justin Fields as your quarterback. I think that was their hope, but that's really what's going to bears are going to do. Um, uh, so I, I honestly think that there's a possibility that Justin Fields and the bears have the best quarterback situation out of any team in the division at the end of the year. And who would have thought that? Three months ago, when when Certainly Andy Dalton I. was signed to be QB one, who in the world saw that coming? Yeah, not I. I mean, not I said the fly. If you go back to whenever the the trade happened, where they traded Stafford, at that point we're like, man, the Bears have the worst quarterback situation in this entire division. And, how, and we've said that for many years. How quickly did that situation potentially turn around? Pretty quickly, too, in the matter of a few minutes of them trading up and getting Justin Fields. <sighs> Justin Fields. I wish it wasn't so hot. I can't. I want to be able to wear my jersey. Yeah, it's not good jersey weather right now. It is not. And that's what sucks is you buy a new NFL jersey, you get it in the mail, and then as soon as it comes in the mail, you're like, oh, hey, it's a million degrees outside. I can't wear this again for, you know, four months. <laughs> Yeah, that's how it works with uh, buying jerseys right after the draft. That's just part of the gig. Um, and then uh, the only other thing I have to say is, apparently Chad Ochocinco made his professional boxing debut tonight in this clown organization that has YouTube stars fighting. Um, and Ocho Cinco got laid out. Just hmm. laid out. I don't know anything about that stuff, so. He didn't know where he was. 
I'm just watching. I'm just watching the highlight clips here. I was not going to pay for that debacle. Um, ah, uh, it was on pay per view. I assume. Yeah, I'm not paying sixty dollars for that nonsense. Uh, was there anything else you want to talk about? No, I've said my piece. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Bill Swirsky Sports Talk Chicago. I want to thank everybody so much for listening. Please hit subscribe however you listen to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Share this podcast with your friends. That's how we grow the show. Um, follow us on social media at Swirsky Sports, Facebook.com slash Swirsky Sports, Swirsky Sports.com, uh, Alex Pat Sports Chat.blogspot.com, or on Facebook, Alex Pat Sports Chat. Follow Alex and uh, some of his great writings. And thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, bear down. Cubs win! What a lucky break! The good Lord wants the Cubs to win! We thank Dick and God for all they have provided. Cubs win! Cubs win! Cubs win! Oh, I don't want her. You can have her. She's a Packer fan. She can't fit in my van. And she looks like... Remember, New Yorkers, smoking crack is not legal on the plains. Bears, 31, the negative 7. The Bears. Oh, when the Bears go Bears.